You're listening to Leveling Up, where we'll show you how to win at the game of life and business. It's time to power up your skills through life gamification with your host, Eric Sue. Okay, everyone. Today, I'm really excited to have my friend here, Marcus Taylor, who's the founder and CEO of Venture Harbor, which is a modern day holding company for high growth online businesses. And I'm going to let him elaborate on what that means in a second. But first and foremost, Marcus, how is it going? It's awesome. And thanks for having me on the show, Eric. Yeah, thanks for joining. So why don't you give us a little background on kind of you know who you are and what it is that you do? Yeah, so I started coding when I was about 10 years old and was building online businesses since I was like 16. And really, this kind of passion of mine just got slightly out of control to the point where when I had my first job at 18, I reached this point where I was earning more revenue from all these sort of websites and side projects that I I built that I, I got to a point where I needed to put them into this holding company. And so Venture Harbor is very much this this sandbox for me. It's this place where every year I aim to build a new online business. We have a, a small team around it. And the focus for Venture Harbor is very much around each year we build a new highly automated business and very much focused around like SaaS and B2B marketing tools, but not exclusively. Got it. Okay. A, what's your criteria? You've kind of named some criteria already, but what's your criteria in kind of building or buying a business? And number two, why did you pick those criteria? Yeah. So for me, the the big criteria, number one thing is like, I want to work out how do I leave this business alone for a year or two years and come back to find that it's bigger than when I left it. That for me is the number one thing. Like if I feel like this business model or this business we're acquiring or building is something that we're not going to be able to put that growth on autopilot for, then we won't touch it. And so everything kind of really revolves around that. Right. Okay, great. And so when did you first start Venture Harbor again? So Venture Harbor was was started in 2012, um, but it actually started originally as a consultancy. And we eventually moved completely away from services to, to just be the sort of the current form of being a this product company. That's interesting because we've had a lot of people on this podcast that switch over from consulting and focus exclusively on the software. And my mindset is because, as you know, I've kept the agency, right? I just kind of hired someone to run it and it continues to grow. So I guess my question for you was, why did you decide to shut down the consultancy? I'm assuming it was very profitable, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. So it was kind of profitable, but like we hit this plateau where like many kind of agencies and people with the consulting model, we're constantly having to, to replace churned clients. And, you know, you hear all these kind of case studies and stories of, of products with thousand percent growth a year. And I just realized that that was going to be a, a real uphill battle for me and, and with this consulting model. And, and I think also it helped in a way that we had some really bad clients that I just really wanted to get away from at the time. But I think deep down, I love building products. There's a real passion for me in just taking ventures through this process of like ideation, incubation, and then getting it to that level where it's automated. Like that for me is just fun. And I'd be doing that if no one paid me for it. It just made sense and was very effortless to make that transition from a personal level. Right. So what I'm hearing is A, nightmare clients, and then B was kind of (laughs) refilling the pipeline because it sounds like you guys would churn clients and you have to go out there and and, and prospect more. Is that kind of what it is? Yeah. So it's definitely like a push and pull. Got it. Okay. It seems to make sense. And I guess it's hard to compare apples to apples because when I look at my side, it's like, okay, the leads are coming. As you know, you know, you do well with SEO. I've been building the blog traffic for a while. Like the leads come in on autopilot. So for me, I never, I guess, nice problem to 
have, didn't have to experience that. So if the leads are coming in on autopilot, it makes sense to keep the business. So it's always mm-hmm. good for me to kind of get clarity there. So the Venture Harbor right now, you have, you said nine businesses? Yeah, so there's nine businesses in the portfolio. Got it, cool. Can you walk through overall revenue across the portfolio and then uh, maybe you can talk about like the top two businesses? Yeah, so uh, I think this year we're looking at probably ending the year on around two and a half million or so across the group. So, I mean, one big anomaly in that is like quite a bit of our revenue comes from VentureHarbor.com, like the Venture Harbor blog. It gets a lot of traffic and we have a few affiliate posts that generate normally sort of sixty to $70,000 a month in affiliate revenue. Wow. But then we have Brokernotes.co, which is a finance comparison site that does, that's a really crazy volatile site from a revenue perspective. We can do anything from like 50K a month to... I think we've seen sort of like quarter of a million in a month before because it's very much broken notes revenue is very much tied to like volatility in the market. So if Bitcoin's going crazy, we have a lot of people signing up. And then we have lead formally, which is like a, a lead gen form builder, sort of like type form, but more sort of CRO focused. And that's currently, I think last month that did sort of like $35,000 MRR or not MRR, but net revenue. Nice. And how long have you had Broken Notes for and also the last business that you talked about, the 30 grand MRR one? So Broken Notes was started in 2014. It was kind of an experiment that went out of control. I started it just because I had an SEO client that I couldn't get results for. And I wanted to kind of prove to myself that the problem wasn't me. (laughs) So I started (laughs) the site and it just ended up spinning out of control. Uh, Lead Formally was, I think, founded in 2016. So that's been going for about three years. Got it. Yeah. I think the key point here is it takes time to grow these businesses. Like, I guess, you know, are these businesses continuing to compound over time? Is that what you're seeing? Yeah. So, I mean, generally what we've seen across numerous ventures is like year one sucks, year two sucks, year three is kind of pretty good. And then year four is when you sort of find out what's really going on. Like year four, year five is always, we start to see like either there's exponential growth or there's like stagnation. And so that's normally when it, it also starts to kind of, from a revenue perspective, starts to fall into place. That's so true. I think about when I first took over the agency, Single Grain, it's like, it sucked for the, maybe the first four <laughs> or five years. And even when I'm looking at a software, which Marcus is a user of, the software, I mean, it's it sucked for the first two years. And now it's, it's you know, finally starting to get going, but it's okay. You know, it's not like amazing yet. So I, I totally hear what you're saying. So Venture Harbor, as an affiliate blog, I guess, how much traffic is it getting roughly per month right now? It's about 100,000 visits a month. So that's huge because, you know, when I look at our blog, it's like we get around 230,000 overall, but what we haven't done well is the affiliate portion. So maybe you can give some hints to people on on better monetizing their blog. Like, what do you do exactly? Because I'm sure there's some people here that are getting, you know, good traffic. Yeah. So, I mean, so much comes down to the products that you're promoting and the, the audience and all the sort of usual caveats. And as you would probably expect to be the case, like 80% of that revenue is from two or three articles. So I'm not a big fan of this whole sort of like, let's post an article every week. Like I, I like to sort of think, what is the one, two, or, or maybe maximum three pieces of content that if we did it really, really well, 10 times better than anyone else on the internet would knock it out of the park for us. And so we've had that with, we wrote a, like a web hosting guide, which generated a lot of revenue from web hosting affiliates. We have like an email marketing software article, which I think ranks number one or number two for like email marketing software. I see it. The 10 best email marketing tools. Yeah. So that's huge. I mean, we wrote that back in like 2013 or 2014. 
And we've updated it, done like a content refresh every year since. And now it's had every year, it's had like additional research and stuff layered on top of it. And it's a really good piece of content. Like we're really proud of it. And it's what's really cool is people ask me like, what email marketing tool do you do you recommend? And genuinely, like that is the answer. Like there's so much stuff that's gone into that. But that's that's done really well for us from an affiliate perspective. A lot of the email marketing tools have quite reasonable affiliate programs. But yeah, I mean, it's, a lot of it is just testing. Like there are so many products that I would expect would do really well from an affiliate perspective that we've really struggled with. Like I would have thought that the landing page space would have been really good. And I know like for some people it, it is, but we've really struggled to monetize landing page creator traffic. And so, yeah, it's so much as just finding those partners and those, those kind of niches that just make sense. Okay. And so you have a new project that you're working on as well. What is that new project? What does it do? Yeah. So the latest one is Serene, which is a Mac OS app that basically helps you create this deep work bubble <laughs> in one click. So I'm a little bit of a productivity nerd and I, I found myself one day with like probably like 10, 11 different productivity tools open. I had like Brain FM for focus music, and yeah. website blockers, app blockers. I had an app on my phone for like putting it on silent. And I had like a day where I just had to get so much stuff done. And ironically, it took me like, five, 10 minutes to actually like turn on all of these different productivity things to be able to like get into like this deep work state. And so I hacked together this kind of very basic thing using like some macros and Zapier and various things that basically just meant when I press like command B on my keyboard, it automatically turns on focus music, shuts down distracting apps, distracting websites, sends a webhook to my phone, putting my phone on silent. I've got Philips Hue lights that turn red to tell everyone in the office not to bother me. And yeah, this was kind of just like a little pet project of mine. And then a few people saw it and was like, hey, I kind of need that. <laughs> and so we, we ended up building that into a product. And at the moment, it's like in private beta, but it's going on product hunt, I think on October the 1st. So depending on when this is live, I imagine it should be uh, up there for public beta testing. Nice. Cool. And what's the plan in terms of charging for it? Yeah. So very much like heavy freemium approach. So we've built the product completely free to date, getting it to a point where people are saying to us like, you know, I was pretty skeptical about Serene, but have you been using it last few days and have got really good results from it? So we're kind of happy with that. And now we're adding additional premium features like webhooks, ability to like plan multiple days. Because the other thing is like every day you open it, it asks you, what's your one goal today? And then break your day into sessions. So things like being able to plan like your entire week is a premium feature. But honestly, at the moment, the, the, the approach is we don't know if this is going to hit product market fit. So very much just like, I just want to kind of put this out to the world see what the response is. And if it makes sense to do some sort of monetization around it, then we'll we'll kind of add those features in as the next step. That's awesome. And so this would be, I guess this would be company number 10 in the portfolio or is this number nine? Good question. I think it's probably number 10. It's one of those things where like, I, you know, I've been saying to people like nine ventures for so long, <laughs> that I'm not actually sure if it is nine ventures or if we're like now 11 or something, but I think it's probably number 10. Okay. And you know, some people might ask, Marcus, why not just focus on one that's working really well? Why do like nine or 10? Yeah. So it's a really, really good point. And it's something I've battled with for a while. But what I've observed is that it actually gets easier as you have more ventures or more, more projects, providing you create them in a way where each one is incrementally easier than the last. Because 
now when we launch a venture, we have a lot of these kind of competitive advantages because we have this collective audience of about 8 million people a year across all of our ventures. We have a very hedged stable, predictable revenue growth because all of the ups and downs of individual ventures counter each other. Like all these things build up to mean that actually for us, launching a new venture now is relatively low risk and our starting point is just a bit further ahead. So from a focus perspective, I totally relate to that. And there are some days I get into the office and, you know, lead formally server is throwing issues and Serene's you know, I've got seven meetings for that. And some days are very, very chaotic. And that's that comes with the territory. But I would say overall, it's more of an advantage to have multiple projects as you get this sort of cumulative compounding effect. Yeah, I agree with that. I think especially like, you know, Venture Harbor has got an audience, you talk about, you know, an audience of 8 million a, a year across the properties. I think that's powerful because there's a compounding effect and you get more leverage from the traffic that you're getting, the email list and et cetera. My whole thing is not wanting to put everything in one basket because you never know what's going to happen. So I almost feel like having separate ventures is almost like a defense mechanism as well while playing offense too. I don't know if you feel that way. Definitely. And to your previous point earlier about saying like the single grain agency you've got the blog that's that's driving lead gen for that I, ironically for us when i was running the, the consultancy and selling services i didn't really have that source of leads but as soon as i stopped focusing on the services and started building products like lead formally and marketing automation insider.com and these other things i started to get loads of leads from people saying like yeah. Can you manage this for us and so it kind of made me realize like these would have been really good things to build when I was still consulting. And so that for me is a real kind of good lesson is that sometimes building products and, and these sort of complementary products can actually help you sort of achieve the same ends, but in a much kind of easier, more leveraged way. Totally. So for you, uh, of the 10 businesses right now in the portfolio, I guess what percent were purchased and what percent were built? So they were actually all built. There are like some things where like parts of it we've acquired either for like just research or, or certain features. But every time we've looked at a new venture idea, there's always a process we go through, which is like, okay, let's like look at other things that are similar and let's speak to a few people around like whether it would make sense to do an acquisition. But every single time we've done that, we've come to the conclusion of building ourselves. And that's normally the clincher is down to technology. Like Often something, a product that was built four years ago or five years ago is just on the wrong tech stack for what makes sense today. And so we would just often end up rebuilding anyway. But that process of like going through like a kind of a mock M&A thing is still really, really valuable just because it raises so many like interesting questions and gets you to think about the problem in a different way. So the people that are wondering how to get into M&A, what resources do you recommend? Yeah. So, I mean, the, I've made like some huge mistakes in this area, particularly on the sell side. The main thing I, I would recommend is to no matter like how much you're sort of recommended a particular broker or a particular M&A firm is to just speak to as many as you can possibly speak to. And particularly at the moment, I'm finding that every single M&A company that I speak to is, is giving me some nugget, some like additional thing that in some way increases the valuation or the ultimate sale price. And I've come very, very close in the past to kind of just going for like the first one that people recommend. And that in hindsight is a really, really bad, bad move and would have cost crazy amounts of money and lost opportunity. So that's that's like a, it's not a specific resource per se, but I, I would just recommend reach out to your network, go to Google and at minimum speak to five to 10 M&A firms 
line those meetings up because they're the ones that can give you so much amazing insight into how best to sell the company. So looking at how you're doing customer acquisition today, so I know Venture Harbor is largely driven by SEO. What's working well for you in terms of acquiring new customers? Yeah, so in a roundabout way, like everything we do is pretty much based on content marketing and SEO. I mean, we do like a little bit on AdWords and various sort of like remarketing and like a lot of funnel stuff, but everything is kind of eclipsed by content marketing and SEO. And we just found nothing that is in any way as effective for us. So generally it's like acquisition is all about finding those pieces of content and making them incredible. And then we do a lot of stuff at the same time on like conversion optimization, personalization, and getting sort of the landing pages and that stuff as as good as possible. And we find between those two things, we have this good balance of being able to kind of create very sort of short-term growth and these kind of quick wins but equally having this very sort of sustainable long-term engine, that means our margins get better over time. And that was like a big problem with a lot of the paid advertising things we, we did is that just the margins kind of, uh, it may be more to do with the fact that we're not, <laughs> we're not as good <laughs> as paid ads, but the, the margins got worse over time. And this is another thing that like we're now benefiting from selling some of the ventures is we're being told that like this is a huge, huge thing that's like driving our multiples is the fact that because we're so content marketing and SEO driven, there's not really any link between our costs and there's no like variable costs. It's all like if we double the traffic, there's no kind of increase in, in cost to that. And so that's now kind of really driving up the multiples for us, which is not why we did it, not intentional, but but really cool to see that that's kind of being recognized there. And when you say it's driving up to multiples, you mean people that are interested in buying one of your companies, correct? Correct. Got it. Okay. 10 projects, right? So how big is your team right now? Six people. Okay. And how do you balance your team on 10 different projects? So we have a general ratio of 70% focus on growing the existing portfolio, 20% on the latest venture that is generally like pre-revenue, and then 10% focus on creating like new projects and new, new ventures. So that's as true for time as it is for budget. Great. And what's the general kind of sentiment around that? Because I'm sure you're you're a person that's always kind of checking in on how people are doing. Um, mm. How do they feel when they're working on all these different projects? So it's a blessing and a curse. Like it's a really kind of attractive part of Venture Harbor in that it's for all the, the people on the team. It's it's an in-house role, but like every year you're working on a new project and there's all this sort of variety Another sort of real major benefit that I see makes a big difference for the team is that each venture has its sort of different timeframes. Like, for example, Lead Formally is a relatively slow project to like get things out just because we have such a low tolerance for error because we're effectively hosting people's lead gen forms. Like we can't just deploy new features without them being heavily, heavily tested. Whereas Broken Oats, like you can build something and deploy it tomorrow. And so I think particularly for the development team, like it's really exciting. Like they, they really enjoy this, like being able to move across like different levels of velocity, but also like different tech stacks and equally for marketing, the same thing. Like some of our projects are more sort of paid ads driven, some like Serene because it's freemium. The big sort of marketing challenge around Serene is very much working on the virality of it. So I'd say when I first worked at an agency, the thing I loved about it, and I wonder if this is um, something you've observed, Eric, is in an agency, you accelerate your learning because you're exposed to so many different businesses, so many different ideas that you can't help but learn very quickly, as opposed to if you're just working on one business, it's it's a little bit trickier. 
And I feel in Venture Harbor, that's we've kind of strike that balance of the two where we've got this accelerated learning effect by having all these different ventures. Yet we've got the benefit of being able to kind of like, if you just want to focus on Serene for the next 12 months or just work on broken notes, like that's absolutely fine. Like there's that ability to go deep on any project. Yeah, I think that's totally true. I think that's another thing. I mean, it's like a little hack. You get to work with really cool companies and eventually it gives you other ideas too for other products that you might build because you're learning about all their problems. It's like free customer development. So you talked about stacks a second ago in terms of tech stacks. I guess what are like the critical tools in your marketing stack? Yeah. So obviously at the moment we're playing around with ClickFlow, which so far like seems amazing. We're really enjoying that. Thank you. Hey, welcome. It's, it's, it's been really, we tried to build like a hacky version of like a A-B testing scheduling thing a while ago. And ClickFlow has been like this amazing improvement on top of that. So <laughs> thank you. Thank you for, for running it. Other than that, we're really impressed at the moment with Proof, like useproof.io. I haven't actually played around with their personalization tool they've released recently, but I think we're going to be doing some stuff with that. Other than that, like it's a, a lot of the typical SEO tools that you'd expect, like SEMrush, Deepcrawl. Yeah, I mean, we keep it fairly simple, right? Like we just diagnose like what is the right content to create and then how do we make it as good as we can possibly make it? And that doesn't typically require too many tools to do that. Nice. And sounds like six full timers on our team. I guess how many writers do you have? So it's kind of like elastic. It sort of scales up and down. So on the core team, there's no there's no writers. So I suppose that's something I should add. Although we have six people on the core team, we have this kind of like elastic team of anywhere from kind of like 15 to 30 people, which is a mixture of developers, data collectors, writers, who we sort of scale up and down depending on what we're kind of working on at the moment. But generally, like there's about, I mean, Venture Harbor, all the content is one person. Broken Oats, there's maybe like three people doing content for that. And then uh, across the other ventures, it's sort of two or three people. So there's kind of five or six people that we go to for content across all the ventures. Okay, great. And working towards wrapping up here, what's one big struggle you faced while growing the business? So maybe something that was existential where you were at the verge of shutting down, anything like that? We've never had a point of like near shutting down, but I, I guess the closest thing was what we kind of mentioned earlier of, of this tipping point between like we were this consultancy and we had some really bad clients and that service business was, was just clearly not, not too sustainable. And I remember making that leap over to deciding, okay, I'm going to fire the remaining clients we have tomorrow and we're going to be a product company from now on. Like that, I remember being emotionally as well as financially, just a really difficult process to go through. But the best decision that we ever made. So I guess when you're going through that transition of, you know, shutting the agency down, I guess, did you have to let anybody go? Like how much revenue were you sacrificing? How much cash did you have left in the bank runway and all that? I'm just wondering what's, what was going through your head. Yeah. So, I mean, like, well, we're probably doing like 150, 200K a year at that point. So it was like still a very small operation. I had two employees. Luckily, like, so one was sort of marketing, one was development. So it was very easy to carry them over to the new product focus. And we were building some of these products on the side while we had clients. And so it was kind of like people, I think I've heard of it referred as like this Tarzan approach where it wasn't this like complete tomorrow we're coming into work and we're completely different. It was sort of, we are taking this hit on revenue. There's no longer going to be consulting revenue come in. And now we just have to scale up the product revenue from that. Right. Okay. I love it. So what is one new tool that you've added in the last year that's added a lot of value to your life? So can't be ClickFlow and can't be one <laughs> of your products. 
Okay, so like one that I, I installed today that I love is a tool called Amphetamine, which keeps my computer turned on all day so I don't have to keep logging in every time I get back. And another one that I installed recently that I love, uh, more of like a Devi one, it's called Local by Flywheel. It's a really, really nice tool for doing local development without having to faff around with virtual machines and all of that stuff. Nice, cool. And what is one must-read book you'd recommend to everyone? Getting to Yes by Roger Fisher and William Urey. Okay, what's that one about? So that's about negotiation and it actually helped me. (laughs) So my fiance is from Australia and deciding on whether our wedding was going to be in Australia or the UK was one of these conversations that was going to be tricky. And so I'm really, really glad I read that book before that conversation as I use this. It's all about like principle negotiation and like how to manage negotiations in like a very kind of effective way. And I'm really glad I read it before that conversation as it drove the whole process. And we both came away like super, super happy uh, with the outcome. So it's kind of helped me more from a personal perspective than business. But I do still think of it every day when we're negotiating with partners and selling businesses. Super, super valuable book. God, I I think I have that one. I haven't read it yet. I I read the FBI one and the secrets of power negotiation. That one's really good. But you know, it's it's always with these books. I always remember like one key thing and I forget like all the rest. So you're not married, right? Uh, no, no, no. So uh, still fiance. Okay, still fiance. Okay, so how did you manage to do that? Because for me, I, you know, my temper would just flare and be like, no, you don't understand. Da, 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 da. <laughs> so like, can you walk us through the process, like whatever you can share? Yeah, of course. So so the whole book is like, there's like four steps, right? to negotiation. You, you first separate the people from the problem. Then you define what your interests are and what the other person's interests are. Then you create a list of every single option you can think of. And the important bit is at that step, you're not allowed to critique the options. You just have to list options. And then finally, you create an objective criteria to work out what the right option is. So my fiance and I, we basically said, okay, like, what do I want from the wedding? What do you want from the wedding? We listed out all the things that like were important to both of us. Then we listed out like 20 possible options of like where the wedding could be, how it could be approached. And then we defined objective criteria by saying, okay, like the number one important thing to both of us is that we have like the most important people there. And so we created like a really geeky, like so geeky. This is, this is terrible, like relationship advice, I'm sure. But we created this formula for like waiting, like how important different people were to be at the (laughs) wedding. And that became like the objective way of evaluating which option was the best one. And yeah, we came away like deciding that we do like one kind of little like pre-wedding thing in Australia and then a small wedding in the UK. And that option had the, like the best overall score. And yeah, we're both like super, super happy with that. I like that. You know, some people like in relationships like, oh, you know, this is not a business. You know, you're not supposed to run it with numbers. You know, it's supposed to be based on emotions, right? But like part of it is when you run a business, it is based on people. So why not take some of the good concepts and bring them into relationships? And some of the best relationships I know, they have been almost ran like a business. So, um, you know, kind of what you guys did was running it like a business too. So I like that. So Marcus, this has been really good. What's the best way for people to find you online? So definitely LinkedIn is where I sort of check most. So LinkedIn, just Marcus Taylor. And I think the URL is LinkedIn forward slash Marcus Taylor 100. All right, Marcus, thanks so much for doing this. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Eric. You may have completed this level, but many more bosses await. If you're looking to level up in marketing or business, just go to singlegrain.com forward slash leveling dash up to get access to our individual and team training programs. That's singlegrain.com forward slash leveling dash up.